Welcome, my lords, to the White City, where you will learn more about Middle-earth and discover differences and similarities between the Rings of Power show and Tolkien's books, and whether Amazon's show, episode by episode, is worth watching. I'm Philip Dutt, your host, and I'll be joined by Matt Vandevoort and Mark Schaefer. I hope you enjoy. To start us off with themes and topics for these set of episodes, um, thought we'd uh, start with um, Tolkien's view of family and how that you know is, relates to his books and how he's written his characters based off of that. Um, for instance, um, he's made a lot of his stories for his children, and I think that actually influenced his further writing. Um, as well, um, for instance, Bar- Baron and Luthien comes from his relationship with his wife Edith, and that's also part two of the uniqueness in the elf-man relationships there. So I guess just to kind of start off with those things with the elf-man relationships and those marriages in the books, um, why do you guys think that Tolkien... Like why why do you think he emphasized those in like such an important way? I guess why do you think he made that significant? Well, that's a good question, and I think it's a really tricky one. But I think that you see a lot in Tolkien's work of this deep uh, connection between family members, and yeah, there's just sort of this like deep interconnectedness with the families of Lord of Rings, where almost everyone is sort of related to everyone else who's like on the good side, or some descended from someone you know who's like related. Um, I think this isn't really a mistake that, like, Tolkien sees the family relationships as very important. And, yeah, that, like, our families, in some sense, uh, I think, in maybe modern society, we define ourselves very individually. Like, you know, who I am is, like, almost nothing to do with uh, the people around me and stuff. I think Tolkien's work sort of contrasts that with, defines people very relationally. That, like, you know, Aragorn is the son of Arathorn. He's descended from these people, and he is like it's part of his destiny and who he is is like his relationships to other people, especially his family relationships. So I think that's why as Tolkien sees people as like a relational beings and not just as uh, emotional or other sort of beings. Yeah, yeah, I think that a large part of it can come from sort of you know he growing up he had a very strong family from what I can recall. And um, especially, I believe, with his mother, he had a very good relationship. And then also with his wife, he had a really strong relationship. Um, And so sort of reflecting that in his work, um, just that who you are and where you come from is very important and very interconnected, Um, which is why, like, pretty much every character is part of some bigger lineage um even going as far as like the hobbits are part of these you know grand hobbit houses basically um and a lot of that sort of informs who they are and i think that's an important aspect for tolkien yeah i think it's really interesting that you mentioned the hobbits because that was one i didn't really think about at first but like after you think about it more like not only do you have like the really interesting like Bilbo is not actually Lefrodo's father, he's his uncle who adopted him after his parents died to sort of like 
you know, that like this family relationship, even though it's just an uncle, like means a lot. And then Frodo is also distantly related to Pippin. And this is sort of yeah. one of the reasons why Pippin and Frodo are like become very close, though he's obviously close with Mary and Sam as well. But just that these family ties are really, really important in Tolkien's work and do reflect some of his own relationships. I believe he also had a brother he was very close to. So Yeah. His brother died. Or maybe, uh, you know, I got confused there for a second. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. I think he had a best friend who died. Like, one of his friends died in World War II. I'm getting his story and Lewis's story mixed up in my head, and I can't quite keep straight who had which experience, but I know they both had those sorts yeah. of experiences. Yeah, I, I read a biography, not, like, a couple years ago about, like, Tolkien, and it was very interesting. Um, but, yeah, and just sort of his different relationships between his two different extended families is also very interesting. Hmm. Uh the Tolkien side versus his uh, mother's side. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know also that he, he sort of saw himself and his wife as, uh, well, he, he saw them as reflecting and wrote the story of Baron and Luthien as sort of a reflection of their relationship um, in part and getting back to the sort of elf and human relationships thing in part because uh, he was Catholic and she was Protestant and she became a Catholic to marry him, which is a ref- in the story is reflected by Luthien changing her fate um, by uh, marrying mm. into this house of men, which is not that I think necessarily Tolkien thought that like Protestants weren't a legitimate strain of Christianity or whatever because he was very good friends with uh, Lewis, but that sort of um, that's a pretty substantial change to make for somebody to make for love. And so I think that's a big reason why is because it's not just like those particular relationships are not just, oh, look at this couple and how much they love each other and care for each other. It's like, wow, this person really cares for this other person to the extent that they're willing to give up, you know, their eternality and their immortality to spend what in their in their experience is a few fleeting years um and i think that he was sort of showing that like it's bittersweet but it's beautiful and important and wonderful and terrible all wrapped up into one um and i think that's kind of why he was focusing on it because in the analogy of his world it sort of hyper focuses and uh ex- uh, not exaggerates, but it shows more the sort of beauty and sacrifice that love requires and is. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't want to get like too sidetracked into Tolkien's life, but the fact that you mentioned uh, his relationship with his wife, but also his mother was Catholic and the rest of her family was not. And so this was okay. also a deep impression that left it on Tolkien is that mm. his faith in opposition to those like are, who are very close to him as well. Um, yeah, and also it was sort of like a sticking point between him, him and C.S. Lewis later on that C.S. Lewis remained Protestant and Tolkien sort of was always yeah. hoping that he would become Catholic. Yeah. But, yeah. Kind of puts, uh, makes the whole uh, kind of elf human relationship they're unique um so i guess something else in tolkien's books he doesn't make like a completely perfect world you know um there's like broken families and you know like kind of turns experience and 
You maybe call it like Fenor's experience too, I guess. Um, but I guess something else that's interesting to think about is just the, like the family trees, you know, just that he's created. Because um, I mean, I haven't read a whole ton of fantasy books, but I've you know read a few of them that were basically you know copies of you know Lord of the Rings, but didn't even didn't have like the same vast well not just languages but fast families either you know so there's a lot more detail at least that Tolkien goes into um yeah. and anyway so like I guess thinking about just like the nuclear family and how that's you know part of Tolkien's worldview, I guess, in a way. Like, that's... I guess that's the way he sees that things should work. For instance, like, Alando's line and whatnot. But you guys have any, any comments on that? One thing I would say, and I don't know if this is a statement on his worldview or just sort of an effect of it being a story that needs drama and conflict, but there are a lot of characters that explicitly don't grow up in the nuclear family so like if you think about it Aragorn his father is dead and his mother dies very early on and he's raised by these other people um, Frodo and Bilbo are sort of a family unit but it's an uncle and a nephew um, so like you definitely have examples of that but a lot of um, like you have um, well actually I'm trying to think because there's a lot, there's a lot of situations where the characters have like a dead parent, um, like you know Denethor and Faramir and Boromir, and uh, I was even going to bring up Elrond, but I think Elrond's wife is dead by the time the Lord of the Rings comes around. Um, She's not dead, but she went to the Undying Lands. She went to the she Undying. Was injured, yeah, that, that's so, right. Yeah. So you have um, now. I think that in a lot of cases, Tolkien is not. Obviously, he's not, like, saying that those are the ideal situations. And that could almost be a comment on the broken state of the world, is that a lot of these familial relationships are broken. Um, and, in fact, one of the... Uh, one of the... Uh, several of the places where a nuclear family does show up, it's seen as sort of an example of a place that is working well. So a couple that jump to mind would be um, Thingol and Melian and Luthien being a nuclear family in uh, Doriath before things go poorly. And then Luthien and Baron and I'm forgetting their kid's name, but after their whole adventure, their sort of reward is that they get to go off and live in this corner of Beleriand that's not really having anything happen. Um, and so those are, those are more the situations. Um, and then also Sam, uh, marrying Rosie and having their kids is sort of the reward for after the adventure is done, after things have been set to right. So I think that there is something to that, that it's these people that are coming out of broken situations that most desperately want to have the situation improved 
Yeah, and I think what you touch on, like, Sam is really interesting as well. But also, like, the end result isn't like, oh, Sam is like a a self-actualized person or someone understands himself yeah. better. But he's someone who's connected himself deeply to the place he lives in and the people around him by having a kid or, like, marrying and having children and stuff. Yeah. Sort of is like a very different sort of story than ones we're used to seeing uh, today as well. It's almost as if Sam's adventure, like, part his ultimate end is that he moves past this great thing that happened to him, this great and terrible and intense thing that happened to him, and he doesn't let it define his life, rather than, uh, rather than it being, like, like, obviously, that's probably the most significant event that ever happens in his life, but it, he doesn't let it, not that we get a whole lot of uh, characterization of Sam afterwards, but it's it's he moves on afterwards um and it's sort of like he has the rest of his life and then like if you look in the appendices you know mary and pippin get positions of authority in the shire and then sam's kids go on and get positions of authority and so it's like there are things that result from this adventure but he the whole time the whole reason he's doing the adventure is so that he can move on past it i guess one thing that you need to uh, touch on is you know this is kind of a difference between the movies and uh, the Lord of the Rings books but um, so I've heard like quite a few times actually that one of the biggest beefs people have with the Lord of the Rings movies is the fact that Aragorn is kind of like resenting having to follow this line and become king like he doesn't want to Right in the movies, and apparently yeah. in the books, actually, that was that was not the case. He was very willing to do it, and he was just making his way there, basically. Um, so this is kind of like another interesting. Uh, I guess it's like a pretty big part of those books in a in a way, because Aragorn, you know, eventually becomes king and takes over. Um, yeah, and this is a, yeah. this is a pretty big deal, but. I was going to say that, like, so the classic one is that, uh, you know, in the movies, Elrond takes the shards of Narsil to um, Aragorn in the third movie and, you know, sort of challenges him and spurs him on towards, like, pursuing his kingly line. In the books, he takes it at the very beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring when he leaves Rivendell. Um, it's already been reforged. So this is, like, from the very beginning, he had planned, I am going to be, like, the next king and save my people and stuff like that, right? So, yeah. So that isn't my biggest beef with movies, <laughs> but we yeah. can talk about that another time, perhaps. But. No, yeah, it's just something that came along with like the whole family line thing. So I, no, I yeah. think that um, it's partially just a difference in the characterization of Aragorn in the movies, because like in the books, it's not so much like his his arc isn't necessarily about becoming king. Um, I mean, it is, but it's less about him wanting to become king himself and more about people sort of accepting him as king. Because, like, in that climactic moment in the books, when in the movies he brings him the sword, in the books, I don't think Elrond himself comes. I think it's Arwen. And it's some of... Uh, maybe it's not Arwen. It's, no, it's not Arwen. It's Elrond's, Elrond's sons. sons and rangers from the north, and they bring him the banner that Arwen had created for him. And so it's, I will say it's sort of a similar moment 
like in the moment itself where they bring him this symbol of kingship but it's in in the movies it's like a call to action sort of from Elrond like here I I forged your sword go be the king and Aragorn's like fine I guess I'll go be the king of all men now um and then in the movies it's like Aragorn has proved himself finally worthy to be the king um and so he's getting the banner which is sort of his symbol of office rather than like something that he needs to use to prove to other people like he's already proven so he's getting it more as a reward rather than a, a prod yeah it's, it's a really interesting thing uh, talking about the contrast between the books and the movies but i think one thing i will also say is that in the books the hobbits come across as much more the main characters um yeah. than they do in the movies even though they are the main characters in the movies and aragorn is slightly less emphasized perhaps at least told from his perspective whereas yeah. i feel like Merry and Pippin are sort of side characters in a lot of the, the movies in a way, and Aragorn is more the focus on like the other half aside from Frodo and Sam. Whereas yeah. in the books it seems slightly more flipped, whereas Merry and Pippin are more the focus and they see things through their own perspective. So Aragorn is sort of less a character that you're meant to relate to as maybe the audience of the bo- the book in some yeah. ways. I think that I mean you have to remember, sort of getting into a textual analysis side of things, you have to remember that in a sense, the Lord of the Rings is... Not even in a sense. Lord of the Rings was a sequel to The Hobbit. So going into it, the readers were like, oh, I'm reading another story about Hobbits. And so, yeah, the Hobbits are the ones that go through the... Character development sort of... It's not really a character-driven story so much as it is... Like, it it is as much as it is, like, a world-driven story. And it's, like, it's this greater tale... Um, I think the focus just isn't as much on, like, oh, the character's growth over this period of time as much as it is, like, this is the telling of an epic tale, and these are our heroes, and this is just what they're going to do, which I think is fine. I think it's great. I think it it's wonderful. It's just not... It would have been written very differently, and the movies are very much a product of their time as much as the books are a product of theirs in terms of themes and storytelling and sort of a reaction against actually, the books are a little bit more reaction against some other stuff, but yeah, yeah. This is like I feel like a great place to jump into the Rings of Power because, like, in terms of like character development being the driving force of the story, it feels like Galadriel's like sort of you know life learning lessons or like emotional state is like a big driving point in the show. Yeah, and yeah, that seems to contrast. That like seems to contrast pretty wildly with the way Tolkien wrote the Lord of the Rings series, at least. Um, but yeah, it's almost family is almost a bigger theme in the Rings of Power show, just like it is in the movies, because um, like Galadriel's whole deal is that she's trying to avenge her brother and finish what her brother started, um, and then you have sort of the family dynamic of. Uh, the the Elendils, the whatever their family is, um, and then you have Theo and his mom and his elf stepdad maybe, um, <laughs> and then you have the whole family dynamic of the the Harfoots. So it's yeah, and I think that's because it's a much more character driven show, whereas and like in the movies it's a little bit more character driven. Um, 
really, the character that has, I think, the biggest arc in the first book is Boromir. Um, <laughs> because he comes to accept that he was wrong. And it's really only in those last few pages that he kind of comes to realize that. And so I think that, honestly, I think that's part of the reason why I don't think you can adapt nowadays any Lord of the Rings sort of media in a way that people will be happy with on a large scale because the way we tell stories has shifted over the past 50 or 60 years or however long it's been. Um, and so, yeah, so it's like, it's not, it's not going to be just a grand retelling. It's going to be, if you're making a new story, it's going to be more focused on the characters. Um, so you couldn't do a Silmarillion because it's not really like, Tolkien wrote in the tradition of epic tales and sagas. And we don't tell epic tales and sagas. We tell character stories and emotionally driven stories. And those are, you can't really make one of them into the other one. So, Yeah, that's a really good point. Though I, for one, would be really happy if they made it. And I think that like it's important to say that like, just because they've changed over the last 50 years oh, yeah. doesn't mean they're better in any way than they were. Oh, no, I don't that, think like, so either. Stories, I would be happy I think, for a grand epic tale, but right. But the stories, I think, a story is like a, something immortal, right? That like oh, stories yeah. last forever. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's very different than the way that we tell stories today, and it would be a very risky choice for them to make it. But yeah, um, I was gonna mention that in the Rings of Power, I think it's really interesting though that we see a lot of interfamily conflict, which is not something you see a lot in the Lord of the Rings books. I mean, we have like this whole. Uh, the two Durans, the dwarf Durans, going at it as well. You have, like, a lot of... Even Theo and his mother are arguing over some stuff. Uh, just, like, a lot of interfamily conflict. Elendil and his children as well are sort of yeah. in conflict. That there's always seems this, like, tension between the families. Oh, and the Harfoots, of course, where there's, like, she's hiding the secret from her family. <laughs> this seems like a way that it really drives tension in the story as family members conflicting with one another. Um, which it's like really hard to think of an example of that in the Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's explicitly like, you know, shown really, but there could be some of that like taken from the Silmarillion at certain points. Um, the, the biggest, even, but yeah. Well, I was going to say the biggest intra-family conflict in the Silmarillion would be, uh, oh, what's his name? The, the guy who he's like the son of the dark elf that goes to Gondolin. Uh, Maeglin? Maeglin, yeah, that's Maeglin, right. Maeglin, yeah. He he kind of doesn't get along with his family at all. I, mean, I was um, going to say Feanor, but yeah. Oh, yeah, works, and so. Feanor. Never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that'd be the biggest <laughs> interfamily conflict. Uh, um, yeah. He, yeah. he picks a few fights here and there. Yeah, he's a little he's a little bit of a troublemaker. Just Just a, just a little bit. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've talked about this before on our show that, like, I think that the Rings of Power really struggled by not having, like, a clear and persistent villain throughout the whole show where it seemed yeah. like, oh, Sauron's, like, somewhere out there, but, like, what is he doing? And, like, you know, we have the um, Adar who's, like, here, but he's only, like, in one of the storylines and, like, seems like he's not. And I think this is, like, really interesting that, like, because they didn't have it, like, in the Lord of the Rings, we don't need interfamily conflict, right? Like, if anything, we need, like, our family bonds to strengthen us so that we can fight against the evil Sauron because he's, like, overwhelmingly powerful. Whereas in this story, because there's not that to keep some conflict in the show, we need to, like, keep raising these family issues and struggles. 
um, yeah. which is like a different choice that they've made. I mean, it is. It turns out we do know what Sauron's doing the whole season. Um, <laughs> True. But he's just not being a villain for most of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they play out Galadriel's family. Because um, I feel because yeah. that's the one thing, like the only real okay besides Elendil's like children and all, but I feel like that's like besides bes- despite like the little like differences they have. I mean, that's, I think it's a pretty pretty accurate. I mean, and the girl daughter, you know, being there that yeah. you know, shouldn't be there, I but think she's gonna die. <laughs> I think you know, with that, I think they have a they do pretty well with their with their family and all. Um, I don't even know if they're supposed to have a if their mother is around at all. Um, Tolkien but... doesn't mention a lot of mothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, most of the dead parents are mothers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. Anyways, it'll be. To be fair, Aragorn's dad dies instead of his mom. His That's mom true. does raise him. But that, well, and but then, then she, she drops him off with the elves, yes. and then she dies. She stays with him, I think, for a few years at Rivendell, though not long. Yeah, because she, she calls him, but I don't think Estelle. he remembers her because yeah, she she calls him Estelle or Estel or however you pronounce it in Elvish, and then, and then it's only later that er, that Elrond's like, by the way. You're the heir of like all the kings of men. <laughs> yeah. Go, go conquer, or return to Gondor or something. Yep. Yeah. Um. But I was gonna say I think it's really interesting that Gladriel's family is like sort of important. You know, like she, Arwen is also her, you know, granddaughter and stuff. So she yeah. plays a huge role. Uh, like the whole family in itself, and it's like the fact that this show is sort of just cut out seemingly entirely almost and there's this like one you know a few lines about Celeborn but also the way they portray Celeborn whereas in the in the books he's you know known as this really wise really strong warrior as well um and like whereas like it's sort of almost a co-leader though Galadriel probably would be considered the leader is like very much a strong right hand at least whereas Galadriel's lines about him in the show are like Oh, I saw him like putting on armor. He didn't even know what he was doing. Like he's some sort of innocent guy who's like, you know, she's like protecting or whatever. Um, seems a pretty different portrayal than the way he's portrayed in the book. But yeah. we'll see something different in the future of the show. It'll be interesting to see because I could definitely see with their portrayal of Galadriel that that's sort of her perspective, where it's like, no, he actually is a good warrior and knows what he's doing. She's just kind of hot-headed. Um, which again, like in my mind at least, the hot headedness fits a little bit with how she she is for a long time. Um, but like, yeah, because we know like he's at least cool enough to have a named spear, which might be almost unique in the Lord of the Rings. That most named like most legendary warriors are like swords and Wait, stuff. What's the name of his spear? Uh. Aglost? It's something. Gil Galad's spear, not. Oh, I'm thinking of Gil Galad. Sorry. I, I love what my I Lord said. of weapons, and I was like, I'm wait, what? Yeah, I've never heard of this. I'm getting I'm getting elves confused. <laughs> never mind. Um, but what's interesting is, like, yeah, Take it's really interesting because Celeborn is actually older than Galadriel is, I think. I believe he stayed in Middle Earth whenever the rest of the elves went to Valley Nor, and so he's actually, like, That's super true. duper old. That's true. Uh, but also, like, someone who's wise, someone who's seen a lot of history, seen a lot of, like, a lot of Middle Earth. So he is, like, also a 
like Gladriel has like a lot of magic power, wisdom, and stuff like that too. Yeah. Like I said, they're very much like a team and a very strong team. So if he does appear in the show, I will sort of be hoping for that and not like having him be a secondary character or someone who's just there to make Gladriel look good. Um, yeah. that's sort of Cal- my... Are we talking about Celebrimbor? Celeborn. Celeborn. Okay. I was going to say, Celebrimbor is definitely younger than Galadriel because he's <laughs> like Thanor's grandson. Yeah. Yeah. He's Gosh darn it, so, Tolkien, all your elves sound the same to me. I'm I know, sick. right? So this That's really my interesting... excuse. <laughs> so Tolkien played with this. I don't think it's actually canon, but that like Tolkien played this idea of having Celebrimbor be another love interest for Galadriel and that he and that Galadriel eventually chose Celeborn yeah. at some point. That does which sound is really interesting. Familiar. But interesting. It does sort of maybe lead us to suspect that Galadriel and Caliborn have not been married that long um, in terms of like elvish timelines. Yeah. Um, but because Caliborn is a lot younger, if, if Galadriel only chose Caliborn later, then maybe at this time there's still time ahead to, for her to get married, have a kid. Yeah. So blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, I wonder, I think, I wonder if they'll show Thranduil at all. Because I. Legolas's I, father? Yeah, I think he's around at this point, right? So I know Legolas's grandfather fights in the last or the last alliance of elves and men and yeah. dies there. I know he's so I think, the, the king of the wood elves at that point. Yeah, so I think he he may we might see his grandfather. I forget the grandfather's name. It but starts with an like o. maybe the father will make a cameo or something. Because yeah. um, like at this point, what is eventually Dogledore is their capital. Um, that'd be kind of cool to see. Yeah. That's a family. It is. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like we haven't talked about the Harfoot family at all, too. And that one was, like, one they spent a lot of time with. But. Oh, yeah. Well, I I like how there's... I like how they kind of portray them. And I think they're sort of standing in for the, like, salt-of-the-earth kind of people, obviously, because they're hobbits. But definitely standing in for the, like, generally good-hearted but very suspicious of all the weird stuff that's going on around them people. Like, I like, I think in our, in our main podcast, when we were watching the episodes, we talked about how they, like, they're, they're, they act all, like, forgiving and stuff, and then, like, they're totally savage to this family, like, yeah, no, if they fall behind, just leave them to die, like. No one, um, leave no one behind. Yeah, leave, leave <laughs> no one behind, except for these losers. Let's um, take their wheels, right, and yeah, leave them to die. Yeah, take their wheels. Um. Which I think I kind of like that they're portraying them as like, because like, to be honest, that does feel very hobbitish where it's like, yeah, they're all warm and welcoming, but also like they're, they're kind of stubborn and kind of a little bit mischievous. Um, like when you get to like, depending on the, the strength of character of the different hobbits, you know, you have the, the Saxville Baggins who are like just freaking ruthless um and then you have uh farmer cotton who just stands up to and is rude basically to a bunch of nazgul like um it kind of gets across that sort of uh generally good natured but a little bull-headed nature of the hobbits um which i personally enjoyed and i think it kind of reflected a 
sort of what a, what some kinds of insular families can be like, where they're like, they look out for their own, but as soon as somebody starts acting weird, they kind of marginalize them and push them to the edge of the group. Um, and I, I just thought it was a very honest depic depiction of that, where at the end of the day, they do really care about the the members of their family and the members of their group. Um, it just can sometimes take a little bit for them to see that. Yeah, I, I honestly like really enjoyed the overall depiction of the Harfoots, and like I think a lot of the points you made are really great. That it's like a very honest depiction. I just to play devil's advocate, I will say in Tolkien's work, there's one thing hobbits are like never really portrayed as, and that's like malicious. Like, and yeah, taking the wheels off somebody's carts is pretty malicious, right? Yeah, like, well, see, um, they suggest it, but they never do it. <laughs> that's fair, but it's just a little dark. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't know. So I kind of, I guess, like. Most of the other stuff I was, like, really on board with, like, oh, like, you know, it's, like, this is also a harder time for them, you know, they're not in the shire, they're wandering, so, like, yeah, people are going to die, and they're going to have to leave people behind and make hard choices, um, and how they sort of, like, still try to keep a community together throughout their, like, travelings and wanderings was really cool. Yeah. Um, just maybe it was, like, oh, that's, like, a little bit far on this, like, Hobbit murder track yeah. or something. I don't to know. be fair, this is the same era of Hobbit that eventually produces Smeagol who it's like, yeah, he was affected by the ring, but, like, he doesn't seem to have been, like, if he was willing he to murder... To get the ring. Yeah, if he was willing to murder Deagle to get the ring, after, like, seeing the ring for, like, five seconds, like, there was something there before. Yeah, point, point taken. That's actually a great, great... Shout out. Though I will say it's it's, it's actually a long time later if this yeah. is really the second age. Um yeah. but yeah, that's a great point. There is some malicious hobbits out there. So this is this is the like because I always sort of pictured because you have the Shire Hobbits who are all like friendly, nice folk. And like I always kinda pictured this could be my interpretation entirely, but I've always pictured like the Bree Hobbits to be a little bit shiftier and a little bit shadier. Um and then the hobbits that are just out in the past, just nomadic, I always kind of, in my mind, it makes sense that they'd be a little bit more uh, cutthroat just because they have to be that way to survive in the wilds. Um, so, yeah. And I think that it's the right level of cutthroat for a hobbit to be like, yeah, let's cut their wheels and then not actually do it. Fair enough. It's also kind of reverse comic relief. where It's like... The joke is that, can you imagine hobbits being this ruthless to their their family? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, think I feel like we've... That, uh, oh, yeah. Go. I was just going to say, yeah, so I think, you know, probably Galadriel's family could have the biggest uh, change, I guess, in the show than the other families that are being betrayed. Um, even despite, like we were saying, that even the focus on... The family's not getting along entirely. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we guess we'll see how that pans out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Caliborn still has a good light shown on him. Thanks for visiting the White City. Before you leave, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at thewhitecitypodcast.com. Consider supporting my movement on Facebook, keeping the rings of power pure.